Right. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time of the week. It is Thursday night, 8 o'clock, for Dirtbags Live, episode one. So I can see that we've already got uh, five people in, and DC, we're already straight in, mate. And uh, well, I was going to say, ask the important question. We're getting asked the important questions. Are we on the bopper tonight? Well, you look like you're on the bopper, mate. You're on the run totally. That's wild. Bit of cane when cutters for when in Rome, mate. Yes, yes, I hear you. Where is Rome exactly tonight, Joshua? Uh, Emerald, mate. I am in Emerald. I'm currently sitting at the AB Power work office recording oh, this nice. again. So living the dream. Yeah, we, Got to be a we, worker. Got to be a worker, mate. No mun, no fun. A wise man once said to me. So now. Uh, luckily, Dan and I were both able to be in the same place at the same time for Fink. We managed to join forces for that, but uh, we've had to split up again. Dan's back home in Yapoon looking after our business there, and I'm away in Emerald doing a bit of work uh, at the moment, but uh, wait, still wait, on that wait. Fink. What do you mean, Josh? We aren't full-time podcasters? <laughs> Surely uh, full-time commentators fates- either. Oh, my goodness. Not We're not commentators at all. Apparently, on the bopper. Coffee. Yeah, well, it's a new drinking game, so <laughs> little sip, little sip. Yep, yep, little sip, little sip, sticking to it. Dave so... Polino on it. No, very good. Yeah, yeah. Poor hey now, Dave obviously, Polino. Josh, we're gonna get straight into it. Mate, obviously the key to this episode is gonna be all about Fink 22. It was a cracker of a year. But interestingly, some big changes as obviously, Josh, like you know, um, I don't know where you want to start with this, but you know, for all the ladies and gentlemen that weren't allowed to you know, make that trek out there this year. Um, obviously, for whatever reasons, it's, you know, been cranking back up. There has been some huge spectator changes. There's been some, you know, race changes. It's interesting with uh, respect to the numbers, Josh, this year weren't quite as large as they have been in previous years. And many accounts seem to be that's because of the new regulations. The new info is that you've got to do, and Josh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, mate. I'm, I'm just winging it here, but it's too races that you've uh, got to do before you can actually race Fink now to be uh, eligible in the cars. And you've also got to have your MA license and do a couple of club levels. So, you know, back in our day, Josh, when we were young fellas just rocking dirt bikes and that, you didn't even – we literally went and got a license at MA because we had motorcycle licenses and you are allowed to race that race as your one and only race of ever if you wanted to race it like that. But, you know, there was a lot of uh, first-timers and interesting people that – raced it only purely, and again, this is probably the difference between Fink and many other races, is that the appeal is that uh, Fink has such a draw that you don't necessarily have to be a racer to race it, do you? I mean, most of the no. guys that race St. George or you know any of these, like Love Day and all of those, are going to be regular racers, whereas at Fink, there is plenty of guys that buy a Polaris, a Can-Am, a buggy, a, even a trophy truck just to tick that bucket list off the item. And it's the same with the motorbike guys, you know, guys that are essentially um, enduro or adventure riders out of Sydney, Victoria, Melbourne, you know, any of those big cities and that. And then they go, hey, we've got to go and do Fink once in our lives. I I won't say it's a bad thing because I do think it's a good thing. You should have that, at least that skill set, but it's put a, how, how do I word this, Josh? It's put another barrier in front of you if you've got to got to race. And I think that we saw that this year with, not full numbers. Is that a fair statement? No, I think it also adds another cost, another time effort to get there. You know, Fink is super, super time, 
you know, chews up so much time just to get out to Alice Springs, you know, um, and then prepping the car and everything like that, or the bike getting ready to race. But I think you're right. There was a story uh, floating around that Greg Campbell actually had one of his uh, one of his rented Can-Ams that you could race. wasn't um, the, the the guy wasn't eligible to be able to race anymore leading up to it. So because um, he hadn't yep. gotten his races in, so they uh, they offered that off as a a last minute to. Um, I believe one of Comiskey's crew climbed into that and, and raced it. But yeah, so I think you're definitely right, Dan. It does add a whole nother dimension to it. Not only the cars, not only the bikes, but um, hey, a big shout out to the Fink crew. One of the things that I noticed, I um, I had to dash down the track on Sunday morning for a little bit just to, to help out some of the method guys down there. One of the things I did notice is that they'd um, that in, invested I mean, they always have with their ad campaign and everything like that. But man, they had invested so much time and effort and and resource into um, uh, a lot of signage. The big thing this year was twenty meters back from the track, and um, you know, a lot more information out about where are bad places to stand. You know, the outside of corners, um, over blind crests, and stuff like that. And essentially, uh, along the side of the track, once you hit the the service from the moment you turned off past the airport probably about every 500 meters I reckon there was a, a, a sign that was hammered into the into the side of the road about how far back you should be um, and, and information about that on, on safety for spectators so they you know they they have stepped it up and they're not just resting on their laurels to, to try and and keep this great race going and yeah and yeah so it's a tough one man, so, for the for the committee well what I was gonna say is listen Big props. That's what they needed to do. I think it's a a huge positive. Yes. But there is no question it changed the feel. A lot of the drivers that we talked to mentioned about how it was almost a little ghost towny running through town where normally you can see the race cars, you know, like you. there's plenty of people sort of lining the side of straights. And again, can't suggest this enough. It's the right move to control that crowd, but how it's affected and changed that, uh, that feel of think if that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, look, I will say this, though. I think it was – I mean, this is just going off the old itometer here, mate. I think crowd-wise, it was actually quite a big year for Fink. I think 2020, the cancellation, and then 2021, um, obviously with the last minute, was it Victoria? I, I believe it was Victoria because of um, Matt Hansen not being able to race and, and Shannon and that, and Owen's not getting there. And then was it also South Australia would have had to quarantine for two weeks if they went into the Northern Territory? So I think that probably had knocked spectator numbers around it, mate. Hmm. From where we were on the track, we um, on on Sunday we were just past the Alice Springs Off Road Club, in between uh, where the entry was for there and to where the Tree of Knowledge was, and it was just packed, full of cars, yep. full of spectators. Yeah, I, I think I think spectator wise, it, like it was probably one of the biggest years that I think I've ever experienced out there. I, I totally agree. I mean, Thursday night at the street party was madness. Toby, who we had on our podcast, if you're listening along, make sure you throw back out. So, uh, you know, and, and have a listen to that after we finish, obviously. Toby was on our podcast, as well as some other great guys that we had. We also had Bo Robinson and Paul Wheel leading up to Fink, which oh, Paul was after Fink, but we actually uh, filmed it prior to think and it was a great conversation that I enjoyed talking to those guys, you know, that are at the top level of their sport. But it was so interesting because I think that, um, yeah, you know, like it was it was crazy to see those numbers, Josh, this year. Again, I can't believe the street party. I mean, it's always great. I've not tried, but, you know, there was like a five-hour line to get in signed with Toby and that. It was yeah. so good. 
And I think that that's a real key there is that it's just growing and growing. And I think that it's growing in the right way because now you're getting up close and access and personal with these guys at scrutineering at, you know, like you, you, and we're controlling the track situation, which is always going to be an issue at think for the officials. Cause yep. again, what makes that track brilliant is also what makes it quite scary as an official. I'm, I'm telling you, I would not like to be the official on that race. So again, to all the, the think crew, you know, Kelsey Branford and all those legends and Yoff and, and again, everyone that makes that happen. First off, big shout out mm. to you guys. That was the, great it was just brilliant start to finish it was run professionally it's hard you'll never please absolutely everyone but i tell you what it was a cracker from all the motorbikes all the guys the interviews everything that we saw we had an absolute blast and now josh i suppose that brings us we're we're, we're yapping about not even the race at the moment we're just talking about sort of the politics of it but the other side of that was that if you listen along we we um Got the call up on Monday to jump on board. We were always working with Method, uh, with Mickey Taylor and those boys and Clayton Taylor and those guys we were, we were looking at doing Saturday. We ended up on crew for the whole weekend, uh, working yeah. with Josh, the other Josh, and it was an absolute hoot. Uh, we had the two girls as well that they were doing interviews and working along nice. Oh, yeah, we are on the bopper. The bopper. Absolutely. <laughs> Man, everyone, oh, this is going to be a long podcast. But anyway... Again, if you're not in with that on joke, uh, when you talk for 30, 40 hours, yeah. it is amazing how many things that you just don't realize that you say regularly. Like, it, it's funny because I wouldn't have even thought that that was something that we say a lot other than in joking. And oh. it turns out we say it a lot. Oi, yes. oi, mate. Yeah, yeah. But, but shout out to the bike riders because they threw down. They gave us the opportunity to say, you know, that sentence regularly. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. I like it. No, but it was an absolute cracker. And I mean, um, it it's going to be interesting because this is always the case. Like Toby Price ran a beautiful race, start to finish, yep. ran it like a boss. And, and let's be honest, no one expected anything different from him. He's got the right people around him. He's got the right team. He's got the right equipment. He's got the right track knowledge. Everything about Toby is so poised and he's bringing that level of professionalism. And I don't think anyone's sad about that because honestly, everyone I talk to, other than saying that they had to beat him at night while he sleeps with a stick, other yeah. than that, other yes. than that, everyone was very, you know, like as in, I believe, I hope I'm not speaking for anyone, but everyone we talked to were essentially like, well, we're just going to have to step up. Not yeah. that, not that it's, it's a, you know, oh, it's unfair. It's not a yep. competition. I, no one said that to us. Yep. Everyone was like, hey, he's pushing us. We're just going to have to work harder. We're going to yep. get better machinery. We're going to do all this sort of stuff. So I think that it's going to be a very interesting thing that goes on, you know, for a while that we're, we're, we're essentially trying to, because again, I'll say it, I, I like Toby. He's an absolute legend, deserves all his accolades, obviously. Australian hero. Like, let's just get that out. But if there was one advantage that he has over everyone, it is not the air-shifted Tisco truck. It is not the Dugan's motor eight stack. It is the track time. And that's what we're going to struggle time and time again as amateur racers or, you know, a bit where lots of us like Bo's a little bit more than an amateur racer, but still doing a day job as, as most people are. Uh, That's the thing that we're really going to have to step up to compete with, I believe at this top level now, because even Josh, where does this lead us now that Toby's done so well, do we see Walshy step into a professional team? 
Do yeah. we see Jack Simpson? Do we see these guys now that have got the bite? Because there is there is no question. Let's just throw it out there. If you have done your time on a bike and can run at the front, you are going to do very well once you've learnt the arts of a car. If you got into a fast pro buggy and you are a leading motorcycle, like even the Smith boys, like, you know, Jacob mm. did absolutely brilliantly this year. You know, second outright was Smoker. This sounds so disrespectful because the Smith boys are complete legends, but who would have thought that he was going to prologue first? Killed it. Not me. Killed it. Yeah. So, yeah, and, again, and listen, yeah. got to say this, like I always knew that he was going to be up the front long term, but he is – uh, historically been a guy that, you know, qualifies top 10-ish and then runs through the pack. Yes. Not like led, you know, that's that's super impressive. Him and, and Jack Simpson too, you know, tied up with OBR now running essentially a flash privateer team. Mm. And man, he did so well. So big shout out to those guys. Again, we're, we're motorbike junkies. Like, you know, we, we love the cars and we love the racing, but I tell you what, those motorbike guys, when they're flapping off the back, some of the footage, that's the next bit, Josh, where we're, we're just running through this thing. But again, what I also saw this year was that the social media has stepped up so far. It's yeah. super impressive because people are releasing footage. People are releasing photos. There's so much going on almost instantaneously now. Amazing. Yeah, that's right. You're able to sort of keep up at the rate, like, at, at home, you could keep up with what was going on the race. Like we have talked about it on the channel and, and we did talk about it on the podcast with Bo was their, their YouTube, you know, back from 2011, 2012 was, you know, leaps and bounds ahead. And what they're starting to do now with, with social media and stuff like mm -hmm. that, like the small videos and the reels that they're putting out um, almost instantly of, of prologue of presentation and stuff like that. It's great. Hey, Toby Price with the Road to Fink. I watched that the other night uh, sitting in camp. So that was, you know, it was great. Even though I knew what had happened, it was still great to catch up. There's there's plenty of stuff going on on the socials. But, yeah, I think you're right. Like going back to the the bike riders and, and talking about them making that change, I think you might be right in saying that, um, you know, it hasn't happened for a while, but we did, you know, it wasn't that a little while ago we had, you know, hired guns for drive. There was Dave Fellows driving for the the Kittle race team. And, and you know, I think we may not be far away from seeing, you know, someone, well, particularly once the seven-liter rule comes in, I think we might see some second-hand race cars come in from America and, and a guy like Walshie or Jacob Smith, hey, and, you know, Jack Simpson is tied up with OBR. There's now a geyser truck, you know, floating around that's not, doing, that's not doing much at all. I don't mean that in, in any disrespectful way to the guys at truck, but, you know, there's that, you know, he's got his new Mason and that's what he said he's going to race for the rest of the season. You know, will they prep it and will someone like, hey, imagine this, DC. Like we talk about it, imagine a race in the Ironman. Like, you know, it wasn't oh. that long ago that, that Billy proved that it was possible. And then this year there was three, was it three people competing yeah, three, in the Ironman? Which was which was crazy. So when, we, so when we say the Iron Man, we mean that they they do it in a car, they helicopter back, get on a bike, ride down, stay overnight, car back to Alice in a helicopter or a plane, and then ride it back on a bike. So that's what we call the Iron Man. And we were talking about it the other day. We said, are we going to see a class? Is Fink actually going to recognize this as as something to actually do and and you know have a have it as part of the category? You know where you combine your car and bike time for an overall Iron Man. Yeah, amazing. Because um, 
even down to who would have thought some of the crazy stories about that Ironman is Troy Daly, who you hopefully you all saw on the live feed, absolute legend, had a great run in many respects, but also had some difficulties. Who would have thought that the craziest bit about his whole race was the plane on the ground in Alice to take him back down after his car run for the second day wouldn't well, essentially yeah. wasn't airworthy. I don't know the whole story behind it, but essentially somewhere along the lines, it wouldn't start or something like that. And that means that the craziest part about his race where he almost didn't finish, he had to jump in another plane that was going down for an Ironman attempt as well and and go and run it back. So the, the hardest bit about his whole, I'm sure he won't agree with this, but the hardest <laughs> bit about his weekend was yeah. trying to line up a second play or a, an optional plane to get him back when, when things fell through. So it's it's a crazy game when it starts running like that. And again, oh, there would be no question that it would haunt a number of guys, Toby, no more than you know yeah. anyone else, that it is very possible for a very short time in his professional career yep. that he is capable of doing a one and one. Because right at in the, the moment this year, year. Yeah. 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 And and it's harder because I'm gonna call a spade a spade. Again, I like toes, but Years are creeping on, and Absolutely. we've seen dominant champions that have lost their ability to be able to be true. Like, so this takes a sidestep to like the likes of Grabo. Like, how impressive was Ben Grabham this year? Yeah. Like, running his own team. Uh, we actually had Seaton Battle. Uh, we've been talking to him. Kent Battle's much better looking younger brother, much faster younger. Have I have I led on enough here, Josh? Ah, it's usually and, what well, the younger brothers are. Oh. Oh, snap. I walked into that. Anyway, long story short is that Seton actually rented one of Grabo's bikes and said it was the greatest experience ever. So, you know, even that side of think now, like how crazy is it? And I know a lot of people shudder at a dollar cost, but if you truly look at it, Josh, and we know what it costs to go racing, what his prices are, are very fair and reasonable in my opinion. If I was looking to go and ride it again with full support on a professional bike, why would you do anything else? So yeah, very your head. You don't happen to know what the price is. Well, or, I didn't want to. I didn't want. Yeah, I yeah, didn't want right. to drop it in case I was really wrong. I, I heard somewhere in the six grand vicinity. So and that uh, it's hard because again, lots of people will be going. That's half a motorbike, but by the time you do stegs and steering yep. dampener and suspension yep. setup and slip on yep. pipe and 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 fuel stops yes. and, and yes. seat and battle told me again i hope this is not uh secret information but he didn't even stay because he's got a young one you know and like some kids and that he didn't even have to push his bike through the line for the full thing he went to scrutineer and had a great time eight nine o'clock whenever he wanted to picked up his young fella and headed on off and uh that was it game over grabo sorted everything you literally just turn up swing a leg over the bike and ride as fast as you're comfortable riding on a bike. And he said it was one of the best prepped think bikes. And this is Seton. He's ridden a lot of bikes and done his own programs, done all sorts of things. So very interesting to uh, hear him say that. So I think it'd be, if you're looking at having a real crack anywhere in that top hundred, you know, Oh, cause that was the other conversation he had. He goes, Dan, a, a dry brake fuel system for a motorcycle. It, it was 18 seconds at his pit. Dry brake system for the IMS jug is fifteen hundred bucks for the jug. He goes, yes. so just buying two of them would put you over it. So he goes, yep. you know, like if you're going to have a crack, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Grabo's, Grabo's uh, trail, and trail and track. I'm just having a bit of a look on their Facebook page. Yep, but uh, so again, yeah, it looks looks pretty interesting. Yeah, 
Yep. So, you know, just the fact that that's available. And then again, we had that conversation in our Bo Robinson uh, podcast that we did live at Fink on the black couch. That looked a bit sus, guys. But anyway, right. that was the moral. Why did it look that, sus, Dan? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't know. We had plenty of comments about it. Let's say that. Anyway, the moral of the story, though, is that that was our apartment, beautiful apartment in Alice Springs, nice and warm, and it was cool. Although, here you go, Josh. Here's another one. Oh, uh, unpopular opinion for not a lot of, uh, you know, the regulars, but I found it to be a beautiful thing. Uh, we had uh, jeans and, and a hoodie on. There's been years where there has been ice on the swag. So whilst yeah. it was cool, it wasn't blowing its guts out, and uh, there was no ice on the swag, you know, so... I thought it was very, yes, yes, it was cool, six and sevens, but it was definitely yep. not as cool as it has been. 2010 was a freezing year. 2011 was a freezing oh, year. There's, yeah. there's been some cold ones. So, yeah, 2011, yeah, I, I, I thought, had to wash Billy's truck. I don't know how I got conned into that, but it was yeah, you got conned. freezing. Yeah, yeah, con. It was freezing <laughs> cold. Trust me. It was, yeah, the coldest this young fella's ever been. Yeah, so, you know, like, uh, and I think the key there was that we didn't have the crazy breeze that we've had previously, you know. I think that's that was a big uh, change. So that's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. And yeah, anyway, it was a great podcast with Boa, but that was leading me to, as you mentioned, there is going to be some secondhand trucks floating around, um, you know, and that's uh, going to be just, I don't think we're talking about Bo Robinson there, oh, Josh. Bo, yeah, yeah, copy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, so sorry to interrupt, but yeah, we did just get a comment on the uh, Facebook page. And I, and I do want to just give a shout out to everyone uh, that um, – that you know got involved got involved in the petition um and made it happen you know like it's not something dan and i would have been able to do on our own is get both back open such an idiot mate they've been working through council petitions for years <laughs> yeah. josh comes in for the cream at the end hey mate you know what we should do open bojangles right mate <laughs> all i could think when i first seen that um when i first seen that uh message that bojangles had had opened back up was in the best Conor McGregor voice. We did it, baby. Break out the red panties. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> Conor McGregor's yeah. made us rich. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be yeah. a, a, I tell you what, if it's open in 2023, how oh. good is that going to be? I think the whole yeah. CQ crew will be coming out. Yeah. yeah. BT, Airsy. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. They'll have to be back. Well, there's one. They're talking about racing next year. Hopefully we year. see that. The LA 59 back, that'd be an absolute cracker. So, and uh, actually there's rumors that he's talking about now nominating. I'm, I'm trying to peer pressure him into it, mate, but there's a rumor that a few of them are pretty interested now in doing the Don River because, you know, we did uh, put a bit of effort in there to, to try to convince a few locals. Like it's such a great crossover race. Like it really is the think of North Queensland, isn't it? Like it's the same, it, you know, it's rough, sandy terrain. Oh, yep. Man, lots of people have said that it's actually rougher because rougher. it's consistent. Yes, but yeah, yep. and it's sand one hundred percent. Yeah, but the difference there is that it is a loop race that changes yes. the the dynamics. But it, it's great for spectators and all that. But yeah, no, it's going to be very interesting to see who races for the rest of the year now. Because actually, funny you say that. So obviously, um, Ryan Taylor had an issue passing a car in dust, and he actually went out a little bit wide and took two tires off. Said that the tree that he hit was ginormous. So. That must be pretty wild, but it bent a steering arm. Anyway, luckily finished it, salvaged points there, and then obviously got the car going and was on a stonker on the way home. Yeah. Man, the day that that boy puts it all together, 
is going to be, you know, it'll be great to see him because he, more than anything, he deserves a podium position at at Fink. They've been trying a lot of years. But again, see, this is where it's really hard with Fink, isn't it? There's a lot of people that have been trying for a lot of years. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. So, but anyway, long story short is Ryan, you know, was in this position where he's defending an Australian title. But uh, Jay Swinglehurst had an absolute cracker of a run legend of a family they're such good people and it's mm. great to see them having a run and actually i've made i'll say it as a proud queenslander how good is it at the moment i know we're only like halfway into the season there's a lot but first and second well even third because it's brett comiskey isn't it yes yes third is so we, so so is now the time we say suck at warnable no <laughs> well it is but that that yeah. is the, the little sr 33 is the car that if he's listening, I'm telling you, they are all watching. They've all got the math sorted on it. It's it's not, it's never, it's never out of reach for Shannon no. Ranch. So no, that's, 100%. it's going to be an interesting one because even though he's in fourth with a bit of a points gap, there's still numbers that very much make it a possibility that he could take out the championship comfortably. Because even, so sorry, that's where I was going. I got a little bit sidetracked there with the Shannon chat, but It'll be interesting to see what happens. Maybe someone else can, you know, comment below or give us some info. But I believe that Swinglehurst was never planning on coming to the sixth round. But I tell you what, if you're leading the Australian Championship, you're turning up to the sixth round, surely. Well, I I can give you the goss. So the plan was they were not going to race after Fink. So they gotcha. uh, they have bought two cars, uh, two Jimcos, obviously one Shannon and one the. Uh, X Pinto machine as well. Uh, so, so, the point- so just so we're clear, so Josh, break it down for our listeners. The one that they're currently racing now is the X. Both of these are going to be X Comiskey X cars. X Comiskey cars. Yes. But, but the one that they're currently racing is the X Australian One car under Shannon yes. Wrench. Yes, and that's then right. the second, the second car is the X Pinto car. That am I on the right track? Did have the Honda NSX motor in it. It's yes. now gone, and it's got a VQ35 as well, a Nissan turbo motor. Yes. So they're essentially two identical turbo Jimco Aussie spec race cars. Uh, two identical cars. Yeah, that's right. So that was the plan. They were, they were, yep. Yep. The plan. They were actually going to um, use Shannon's car as essentially a template and um, copy a lot of things off that car. So the, the way the engines mounted, the way the intercoolers are mounted, the way oil coolers are mounted, everything like that. So they were, after, after Fink, they were essentially talking about parking up, um, Parking up Jake's car, and then uh, essentially stripping it down, doing a doing a bit of a prep and a rebuild on it, and then um, from there copying all of that over onto Tom's Jimco, and then and it makes a lot of sense for them, like a team racing. So then it's one in a like you know they don't have to carry one spare in a cooler, one spare radiator, you know everything sort of match it. You know what goes on one car will fit on the other car. So. Brilliant idea from the guys, but now they've found themselves in the awkward position where they are currently leading the Australian Championship. So they've, um, yeah, they've got a, yeah. How impressive is that in itself that they came out of like, obviously how very fast in side-by-sides, no one's taking that away. And it's a great proving ground to step through that. But to be in front after three rounds of the Australian Championship in what is essentially your first season in a pro buggy, yeah, that's crazy. that's crazy, mate. What a great and, and you know it's a it's a absolute tick on the box to those guys. No matter what they do and what happens from here, like they should be proud of that effort. Like it's it's stonking. So mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, look, but it's it's sort of in the same position that uh, Ryan was in as well. You know, he they went to St. George essentially because it was a race close to home. The car was prepped and ready to go. And they, they left St. George in second position. So, hey, man, we got to go to Puncari. Like, you know, they're always going to Fink as well. But, hey, we got to go to Puncari because we're second in the championship and then had a great run there. You know, won his first national race, um, you know, for Team Taylor and everything like that, which was awesome. And then also took the lead of the Australian championship as well. So they were always going to go to Fink. And, um, but essentially for, for them as well, they're, you know, they've, what a silly time to actually go on a barnstorming run when there's six rounds of the Australian Championship, but uh, but but great for them as well because they are a family that just you know lives and breathes and loves off road racing. So I mean they're going to continue to to turn that that Tatum around. They got Foz on board prepping the car, you know, and and doing a great job of that car now. So um, yeah, I, I think I think you'll continue to see Jake and you'll see Ryan at all the all the rest of the rounds. I, I think they will. I think they'll battle it out in, until the finish. You know, unfortunately for Howes, that's two DNFs in a row. So not sure where that leaves them mm. with what they're deciding to do for the rest of the year. Just throwing it out there. If you need somewhere to stop on your way to the Don River Dash, you poon. It's a beautiful place. Hint, hint. It is. But uh, yeah. Bowen's pretty nice too. Uh, good prawn farms up there, I hear. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the other key to that is that. Um, yeah, uh, Brent Martin, because, sorry, mate, I, I know this is a bit of a jump as well, but I wanted to get to, as soon as you said Tatum, obviously Ryan's got an awesome Tatum, Luke's got an awesome Tatum, but the, the Tatum of uh, Dale rocked into my mind, and then instantaneously I went straight to to Brent. What a run from that man. He had it cranked up, and it was yeah. proper cranked up. Like, even on the way in to the stadium after he essentially locked down, Third. There was no question. He's still up on the berms, driving like a man possessed. Those Martins, and I mean, it's a it's a family pedigree, isn't it? Like, yeah, you know, we talk about oh, yeah. Craig with the the Alpha and how fast he is, and Craig and his previously history. But you know, Dale is super fast, and obviously Brent's super fast as well. Now, Josh, you said you might have mentioned to me is this inside goss or outside goss? Like, what's the story? Those guys, obviously, Dale's moved his Tatum. Yes. So he's looking at doing something else and getting into a, is it pro buggy related? Pro buggy, mate. Pro buggy. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Yeah. And I which I think what, will man. be just a perfect position for those guys. Like they're so fast. They, you know, they will run at the front of the competition. They're running at the front of the competition now with seven, no, sorry, with 400 horsepower less than everyone else. That's what's crazy about it. Like Dale's times this year at Fink. Now, obviously, Brent. let's prefix this with, Sorry, Brent. I'm sorry. Brent's times Brent, at Brenty Fink. Martin V12 Twin Turbo. Yes, correct. R times at Fink this year were like on previous year's history record runs. Like it was yeah. a crazy year. If you guys are looking at the time, because Josh and I love analyzing all of this stuff. Like, you know, it wasn't so many years ago that if you ran a two hour time, you were winning the race outright. Two hours. That was a win. And then nowadays, like there was no one in the top 20. With a two-hour run. Was it top 20 or top 10 that we're talking about? But either way, I think it was top 20, to be honest with you. They were all like 157s, 158. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's yeah, just nuts. Side-by-side side was in like 20 – the first side-by-side side was in 22nd or 23rd, and he essentially did two two-hour flat runs, which and is that's just, it. So insane. I've got to – here, Josh, this is my public apology. I have a very <laughs> true story about someone telling me – a 
long time ago. It was a long, it was, I reckon it was 2012, maybe, maybe 2013, that a a side-by-side would run Fink in two hours. I laughed at him. I said, there is no way that's going to happen. It cannot be real. Because at the time, again, I believe in 2012, Fink was one in a, like a 204. So he was essentially suggesting that he would run that time as a winning, like, you know what I mean? And I was just like, nah, mate, you're in a Polaris 900. You've got to be kidding me. Like, what, what are you doing? Oh, no, the long wheel bases are coming. Ooh, I'm so scared. <laughs> anyway, turns out that those things are fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So- yeah. P- particularly now with the – you. Of horsepower, you know, some of the I think the new XPR is is talking about 230 horsepower, you know, like in a lightweight car, that was, you know, those can ams, you know. I, I'm I'm gonna get held down for this, but I am yeah, it hurts to say I'm actually genuinely excited to see the battle of throwing down between the new Polaris, the Pro R, and the um and the Can Am. Yeah, you heard it here first, mate. Jim yeah. goes for sale. Side think, by no, side. No, no, I think BT just texted me and kicked me out of a group. But um <laughs> but uh I th- yeah, I, I think it's great because essentially it for the last couple of years it has been, and I've probably said it before, but it has been if you don't have a can am, you know, you're not expected to win. And I think it's great to see that, you know, we're we're getting back to that to that battle, you know, that'll that I think will just force can am to step it up. And yeah, I think that goes back to, to back to what you were talking about. Man, we're going way back again here, but this is the joys. Um, you know, every, it's exactly what everyone's talking about with Toby. No one's slutting about Toby going, oh, it's unfair or we need to slow him down or, you know, oh, reverse grid for the top 20 or something like that. Like, it's everyone else is standing around going, well, how the heck do we catch him? You know, what do we do that's what, to that's get, what we've to got get to better? Yeah, yeah, that's what we've got to do. And, you know, yeah. um, man, like, AJ? What an yeah. animal. Yeah, well, like AJ's got to be thinking like maybe I do invest a little bit of time and money into learning how this GPS thing works because what yeah. an animal, man. Single seat, like pro buggy, single seat, no GPS, no nothing, just eyes up driving, like just whatever's in front of him. Was I on just... the right track? He, he didn't even like pre-run that much, like just basically turned up a couple of days before the event. Yeah, yeah, coffee. No, no, that's ex- oh, exactly Cordic. right. Here we go, buddy. I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't think he did much pre-running. He just turned up a couple of days before the event, and he um, he slayed it, man. Like, he well, just... it's interesting. So you've gone down a path there, Josh. I think something that needs to be brought up because we have had conversations with, um, you know, GPS, you know, pro and against, you know. But man, Heath Lawson ran us through on a little bit of information about that new system that they're running or it's not new, but you know, they've recently been allowed to run it. And the fact that it's GPS logged and coming up to the corner and the speeds and you can do a lot of stuff with it. And it actually goes Bluetooth through your audio in your car. So for someone like AJ, that will be a huge step forward for him to be able to one run a huge screen, like an iPad style screen, which you could get a big sucker. And two, the fact that he doesn't even have to look at that because it's now talking to him as he's racing. Like yes. that could be something like if I was a single seat guy, that is something that I would absolutely be investing in. Like, you know, again, we've sort of talked about it and whether it's pro or, but the pros are sorry. The negatives are never surrounding the fact that it helps you with your speed. It's going to be that you have the potential to run through the dust very fast, which is yes. 
definitely a concern. If you know that the corner is still 500 meters straight and you're in dust and you run at 160 through that dust, again, it has always come down to our conversation about what if someone is stopped in that dust? What if someone yep. is limping? And, you know, if you only drive what you can see, it's good. And it was interesting, Josh, the other one, I, I keep referring, mate, I cannot stress, and I've always liked Bo, <laughs> but the fact I enjoyed that podcast we did with him so much. He had yeah. very good information. Like it was even interesting because let's call a spade a spade. They've always been on the upper echelon of uh, high performance equipment. They've always had great equipment, but for him to have said to us, oh, it'd be better if they just like, you know, like once everyone has it, everyone has it and everyone needs it. Like he goes, yes. I'd be happy to just step back to two wheel drive trophy trucks. And you know, like that was a very interesting conversation from a guy that, you know, can often lead the technology charge, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, DC dropped out for a little bit. Sorry, mate, you dropped out for a little bit there. You must, the young fellow must be uh, doing too much research or something like that. Uh, you dropped out, but you were saying it's very interesting insight about Bo. You know, one of the things we asked Bo is Bo's got a, a brand new Mason trophy truck and it's a two-wheel drive. And we we did talk about the four-wheel drive. Is it something he's going to step up to or what his thought is particularly on it? And he was saying that, um, you know, it's, it's just a bit kind of keeping up with the Joneses. Like once one good driver gets it, then that's what everyone's got to do. And, um, you know, the obviously they've looked into a four-wheel drive. I think they are maybe building one that they're going to leave in the States. But um, he was talking about how much maintenance and everything because they got a full rundown from Mason about the the. Uh, good man, Zico. Thanks for uh, tuning in. But um, yeah, we um, yeah, the maintenance that needs to happen. On he sort of said that you know it is going to be just keeping up with the Joneses, and they they're sort of going to get to the point where they maybe he thinks they'll wish that it's not something that they did because once everyone's got it, you've just got to make sure that that's where you're at. So, oh, I, yeah, it was very interesting. I I think Bo had some, you know, you, I think we man, like you think about Bo as this that baby-faced young fellow that was getting around, you know, pre-beard, you know, racing turbo pro buggies. But, I mean, they, the Robinsons have been in the sport for so long. I think they have some some really great insight into, you know, he, he understood the plight of, um, you know, the fact that Fink has to not only please the pro buggies and the trophy trucks, but they got to please the bike riders and not just the professional bike riders. Like, I guess you could say that, you know, well over half of the field or three-quarters of the – or three – yeah, probably three-quarters of the field is – you know, bucket list riders that are, that are ticking it off. And I, I, one of the interesting ones that he brought up as well is that um, it'd be interesting to know how many people return from ride. You know, they ride it once and they get their spike and they and then they're done and they um yeah they they move on. So he can understand why you know this year the the Fink or the Whoops in Prologue were graded out. I mean, they did start to form a little bit by the end of Prologue and stuff like that. And and the track definitely did get rougher. People were saying over the weekend, but they they did. It it was a it, it's it it was a smoother year than than what it has been for a while. And it was a little bit of a a perfect cycle or perfect storm with 2012 being cancelled and 2011 being smaller fields. With sorry, I did get the information. It was Victoria and WA that were locked out. So with those two um, states locked out, it, it kind of was a bit of a perfect storm for this year being a fast year. Yeah, absolutely. 
No, very interesting, mate. And and even the, the road changes, like they often have to put a new bit of track in. They've pushed it away from the service road for a number of reasons, but that always creates a bit of carnage, doesn't it? Because it goes that real bulldusty country if it hasn't had a couple of years of racing on it. It like, doesn't compact properly. So any time that they run a blade through, like Josh, you'd remember that Rodinga <laughs> to, um, yeah. you know, wherever it was, that that 30 or 40 kilometres when, when in 2010 they first – made it so that you weren't using the road through there and when they graded through there it was basically like hub deep on a dirt bike bulldust where you're just hitting rocks and tree roots and everything under the ground it was wild well i heard many it was accounts that white that. yeah yeah uh, many it was accounts like riding through talcum powder really yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting because, again, I think that that track's going to, uh, you know, thicken up in the next couple of years and probably we'll see that track really stabilise and become quite, you know, rolly and fast. And, and like you said, they've always got to do some sort of track maintenance to it because otherwise it does become quite unmanageable. It's pretty pretty wild. So, yeah, but it, it's exciting. There's no question about that. And Fink's not going anywhere. Now, out of interest, though, Josh, and I know this happens every year, so I'm not trying to hype it up. It's just because we've got some sort of platform, but there's always talks. And uh, we can probably give you a little insight that it was higher up than just like people in the paddock talking about it, about that at some point Fink may change or they are at least looking at the opportunity to change. Because I don't know how many times I heard people talking about the cars again. You know, like even Toby at the finish line said, oh, she's good. Let's send it again. You know, mm. for us, it is a two-hour sprint less than now. One hour 30 in the race car and then one hour 30 the next day home. What would stop us, Josh, racing on like, say, the Saturday? Uh, I know they'd have to prologue on like the Friday or something like that, you know, the, but make it a – I know it's a big weekend, but it would gap the motorbikes and the cars away from each other even if the motorbikes ran first so that the track wasn't completely destroyed by cars. And then on Monday, we ran the cars down and back in one day or something like that. Because honestly, all of those cars are capable now. If we left at 7.30, like we do, we could run down, have a service time, park for May, turn around and run them home at two o'clock and, and all be at the casino party on Monday night, couldn't we? I like it. I like it. I, I love uh, yeah. it. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a good idea. Like, I mean, it's, it is what I mean. What was it? Um, I, I feel like it gives the motorbike guys a better hours. Like it, yes. you know, now they can leave at ten and run two. Because you guys got to understand out there, like some of this. Oh, I, don't, I almost said stragglers. That's unfair because honestly, <laughs> that's me these days. Like you know, but like say some of the guys that are cutting four hours. If you're starting at twelve thirty, it's four thirty now. And yes. these guys are coming in and, and ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you've noticed, she's pretty dark out there. It's starting to yep. get, you know, cold and, and tough and the sun's down and, you know, there's long shadows. Like if those guys started at, at, at 10, like say the fast motorbikes were off the line at nine, even eight 30, you know, we've, we've got the sun up in the sky. Cause that's another interesting aspect of, of racing and, you know, yeah. Oh, I don't know, man. There's lot, lots of options. That's for sure. So I think that we could absolutely run uh, uh, there and back in one day for the cars. And I think what would be so great about that, I know that the attrition rate would probably hurt even more, Yep. but I feel like it would, it would take away some of this like craziness of pace. Then you're down there at nine o'clock and you can put 
a new gearbox, a new, a new, a new, a new. You know, you could. We've heard, we've heard many stories of be, people basically replacing everything around. You know, a short block. They've changed turbos. They've changed gearboxes. They've changed all oh, turbos. It's clearly a turbo pro buggy. I'm talking about. <laughs> but anyway, the moral of the story is that that, that those situations have happened. Yep. And it's interesting because, you know, like, again, I don't believe you'd be in a position to do that if we had a park for May type situation like we do at, say, Gundy or St. George or any of those races. Because it's yep. interesting that Fink doesn't do that type of thing. Even if they didn't want to change that situation, it would be interesting if they turned around and said, okay, well, from the time you get in, you've got, you know, like even if it's a three-hour window in a park yep. for May type situation, because even if you thought the logistics were too hard to get your crew down to the other end in time, they might not turn up until 12 o'clock because they've had to drop yes. the car off. Fine, yep. let's work with that. But there, there's got to be options around it to make it so that we can have, you know, an hour and a half check over park for May, you know, you can't touch the car, visual only, and then all of a sudden you go to work. Yep. So what he's saying, maybe something like it gets parked in a holding area. Yep. Um, yeah. Yep. So you're right. So if you if you don't have a team that that's been that is you know has to run down the service road, or you don't have twenty blokes and you and you can't have ten and ten at each end. Um, yeah. You park in like a a park for May area, and then um, you know you're allowed to designate it. You, a time to check your car out, I guess, and say, hey, yep. we're taking it to our, and then you've got to return it in an hour and a half or two hours or three hours, like let's pick a number. So then what yep. happens then, Dan? What are we saying? Um, Any time well, over that time, is it an instant disqualification or say no, you're, no, you're no, four race, minutes race. late? Yep, four minutes late, that four minutes is added onto your, onto your race, race time. time. Yep. So you could make yep. a call and go, Hey, I, I do need to fix this. Like, say, I need an extra four minutes to to just finish zip tying this up, or or, or you know, and it's it's, yep. it's and what's that's going to that's going to save me ten minutes in the race or fifteen minutes in the race. I mean, even down to Josh, we've seen people, um, you know, at uh, I believe it was Gundy, I think from memory, or it might have been St George, but where they they rushed out of the pit, pulled over, did a little bit more work that they realised they had to do out of park for May, and then keep going. You know, like that. That's an option too. You could. I mean, this is tough. I'm now telling secrets, but. If there happened to be some stuff on the side of the road about 10k out or something, well, I mean, we've seen that before where it's it's completely legal. It was just convenient. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Dave, fellas. <laughs> just wandering around. So then, uh, here you go. We'll really throw it out. So then, what happens there, Dan? Does your race time get added onto your, uh, say, your time from? Uh, Sunday, so you run down. If you're four minutes late, that gets started on your time, and then you get reseated into the pack. So say, you, well, you that's know. how that's exactly how it works at um, all the other Australian races. Hey, if you're I, late, I'm not, not one hundred percent sure. Yeah. So yeah. my dummy, I've been four minutes late back to about four minutes late back at yes. Gundawendi, and yeah, that that meant that I started that four minutes down on time, corrected time. So it's essentially put on your section one time if that makes sense yes so yep, if you're yep, if so you're now two hours and you ran a 140 you now are as if you ran two hours yep and you'd be reseated into the pack so you wouldn't say be second or third off the line you'd drop down no. to 20th and i guess that's the key because you don't yes. want to let's let's say you don't want you to have that a road position well, exactly. Well, but more more importantly, you don't want Josh Howes to cross the line or Toby to cross the line first, then have thirty eight minutes from 
uh, Park for May added to him and go, oh, no, the real winner is the third car down the line. Yes. Because we always, yes. and that's what Fink's done so well, is if you take the checkered flag, you are the winner. That's for the yep. cars and the bikes. I think that's something that they've completely nailed there with that with that on-road time because it has always, I mean, you look at the, and I'm not knocking any, but all the scores and all the mints and all the other races, they cross the line and then they're like, hold on, unofficial, we now got to wait for corrected times. And yes. it might be a couple of, you know, while Hours. until, yeah, yeah before until you hear everyone's it. Yep. Yeah, it sucks so, the atmosphere out of it. So Fink have done an excellent job there. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, man, I think it'll be interesting. Anyway, I didn't want to get bogged down in the politics, but obviously that's something that interests at least a few of the people on our channel with respect to running it because I've definitely heard it many, many times that lots of people would love to run it down. We we were part of this back in the old LS days. Like, we said it was amazing. Like, we'd, we'd just run down, fuel the back up, and run a home most years. Mm. And, um, and you know, and we were in a position, obviously, if you've got the extra time, you end up spending a lot of time looking at things and tightening bolts and doing all the stuff. But, yeah, if you've got the opportunity to do that and have that time, it'd be pretty good, I reckon. So, there you go. Well, yeah. No, I don't, <laughs> don't want to make too many rules because the other great rule there would be Imagine if you had to designate a maximum of six people too. Oof, Takes yes. a little bit of the dollars out of it because you can't turn up with a 30-car supercar team. Not that I'm suggesting anyone is, but you can't turn up with a 30-car, 30 30-person 30 um, factory-style team. Yep. You've got you've got six designated wristband guys. They work on the car, and that, that cleans it up a little bit too because I feel like two, three people plus your driver and navigator are sort of limiting it a fair bit. Like a six-person team is a pretty – uh, reasonable sort of team, I think. Like most people, you know, lots of us are running three, four team. Lots of them are running, you know, six. But, you know, again, once you get to that 30 or something or 20 or something like that, it's, it's a bit silly. But that might be something that's, you know, becomes evident if it's not put in as a rule. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, look, that's the great thing about motorsport. People are always trying to find a little bit of a loophole to uh, to get around the room and, and yep. around the rules and uh, find the best advantage that they can but yeah i i think it's look there's so many interesting possibilities of things that they could do with think like well here you go josh tough, though, oh yeah no okay. no well i was gonna say uh, looking through corning now that is an interesting one that stuff it i'm bringing up as well capacity checks that is an interesting conversation because despite the rumors every year there's rumors this year there's rumors the other year there was rumors. When hasn't what there, well, when hasn't there been rumors? Yeah, but there was clearly just thrown out there. As far as I understand, not one person got capacity checked this year. So, is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Should we be doing random capacity checks? Like, I mean, it, it back in the day, like in off road, uh, I think it was off road racing, but particularly like all sorts of road racing. Like, essentially, the top three would get checked, wouldn't they? Yeah, and yeah, just absolutely. so we're clear, just so we're clear. I don't have a horse in this fight. Like there's no dog. I don't think anyone's doing the wrong thing that I want to prefix it with this, but I must admit as soon as nothing was done again this year, I essentially knew that there'd be at least conversation about it again. There will always be conversation when there's a huge unknown like there is. Cause here you go again, we'll throw it out there. Ladies and gentlemen, hand on heart for every reason that it was a 400 horsepower LS one 5.7. Yeah. Someone yep. came up to us and there's no beef about it and went five seven. 
We're like, no, no, it's a 5.7. Like, we've measured the bore and stroke. It's stock bore. It's got stock pistons in the thing. I'm telling you, we physically had the motor apart. It is a stock 5.7. They're like, yeah, stock 5.7. So how much does that happen where people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, old mate's doing that, so it's got to be, it can't be, oh, that motor sounds different, so it can't be, uh, you know, like there's a lot of um, variables, any any of this sort of stuff, isn't there? So I think it would be very interesting to have it where they – knew that there was going to be random checks. Like there's got to be an easy way to do it. Like we do it in all other forms of motorsport and that would clarify whether we're all on the same playing field or not too, just with respect to that, because there is a lot of talk, you know, there's guys that are holding out cars for seven liters. There's guys that are holding out for other things going on and, you know, how much of a difference is it going to make? Is it, is it a big deal? Is it, I don't know. Like, you know, like, are these guys running the, like, man, I'm, I'm throwing out lots of variables today, aren't I? Have the V8 boys shot themselves in the foot again? Because in the last two years, in the fastest, the fastest race in Australia, V8's six liters, V8 six liters have won both years. So, again, I got to say, I'm all for letting them run. I'd go with a fully unlimited. So that's my yeah. position on it because I just think it's a great way to go. I can put a 512 cube playing Chevy big block if that's what I want to do. Yeah, yep. I, I just enjoy the fact that I can build anything. That's all it's about. But within the confines of the rule, there is not a parity issue at the moment by the looks of it. No. No, I mean, they are they are the, the fastest The fastest car on track right now is a V8. Six yeah. liter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Closely Truck. followed, clo- closely followed by a twin turbo V six. Quite closely followed by a naturally aspirated V six. Naturally aspirated V six. So, so th- this constant conversation about, you know, we need it so that we can keep up. That's interesting. And then the other one that has clearly been blown out of the water time and time again is we've got to stop getting down a dollar conversation. Surely, Josh. Yeah, Saying I that think I think that's the biggest thing that how they. The with the seven liter argument was, oh, we want to do it to save money. Um, I I don't think it's an effective argument. Like yeah. if 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 uh, Bo Robinson has a hundred grand in his motor budget, he's spending a hundred grand on his motor budget. He's yeah. not knocking it back to sixty five to uh, you know. Now that I've got a seven liter, I only need sixty five to make eight hundred horsepower. Well, it's going to be I'm going to spend a hundred grand and get ninety nine hundred and fifty horsepower. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Oh, I just think, and, and then there's all that other thing like, oh, okay, now I only got to spend 20 grand or 30 grand or 40 grand to get, um, to get 800 horsepower. But now you've got to make sure your gearbox can handle it. You've got to make sure your diff can handle it. So there's added cost there. Like, yeah, I think the, I think when the cost argument got used, I think it just got a few people offside. Like it, it just didn't seem like a valid argument when we're talking about half a million dollar US you know, $750,000 US trophy trucks, um, yeah. you know, $300,000 pro buggies. And and then we're, we're talking about, you know, oh, the motors are t- tad too expensive. When, you know, I guess the statement could be if we're worried about cost, well, we, you know, it's no Albans, it's no Turbo 400s, it's no, you know, we go back to Renault gearboxes in the buggies and we go back to five-speed, you know, T56s or something like, you know, Ooh, imagine yeah, that. no, stuff that no. And, and you know, we get rid yeah. of torque converters and we put clutches back in the car, you know, because that's a cheaper option. 
and it'll 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 make it it make it fairer as well. So, um, it's I don't think not cost. Better. It's not better no, from co- a lifestyle view. No, no, I think cost is never an effective argument in motorsport, uh, and yeah. and I know it probably sucks for hey man we're a we're a small like we're a small team you know we we run on a pretty short budget but i don't think you can ever use you know cost as as an option as to to why you should be able to increase a capacity limit i i i'm with you dan i think it should be done simply for the fact that it'll make a heap of american cars available yeah which will then yep which will then you know people will sell you know they'll get them here They'll bring them over. We'll have more races, which then means the clubs are getting more competitors at their events, which is more money for the clubs to put on a better event. So um, exactly why I reckon they should get exactly like uh, Mikey Zacker brought up a beam buggy, a beam front end class, you know, and whether it just be a like two horsepower categories and and that's it. And, you know, get these whole cars out and racing because that's how we're going to make racing. You know, a seven, a seven liter rule isn't going to all of a sudden add 50 cars to every no. event. No, um, it doesn't really achieve what they wanted it to do, which is yeah, American right. cars. Yeah, yeah, and and I reckon that's the big. So it should like, yeah, exactly right. It doesn't achieve Amer- all American cars, or it doesn't achieve the big dogs of American cars. You know, coming over, whereas you know it does make some secondhand cars available. But um, yeah, that I mean, that's always the question. Like, probably getting back to what you're talking about with capacity checks. So the backstory behind why we got the the question about it being a five seven is the Jimco was originally it's left hand drive. It was built in America. It was raced in America. So with their unlimited rules, like they've had unlimited engine capacities for a long time, it, you know, it just seemed hard to believe that it would run a, a five point seven liter. But yeah. um, look, Especially, hey, the other yeah, the other I was thing that say, brings stroker up inter- cranks are like sixteen hundred bucks. Why wouldn't you? Well, that's an interesting point that comes up with uh, the the. Um, Capacity testing as well, and the limitation to six liter. A, um, a wise man, I'm going to call him uh, Mr. X. So uh, I think you know who I'm talking about. But he he made the statement. And he said, you know, like, what about some of these people that you know they might be getting, um, once again, not saying anyone is, but they might be getting gypped by their engine builder. You know, you're talking to someone and they say, you know, hey, we've got a six liter capacity rule in our sport, but we really need like 800 horsepower, but I can't afford it. And old mate goes, hey, I can I can do that for you for you know three quarters of the price because I'm a better engine builder than than uh, than old mate you are talking to, and and hey, they just put a stroke of crank in it. You you know nothing of it, so you you're not mechanically, you know you, you just race cars, you're a cattle farmer or something. Uh, bad example because you know they don't. Bad example. We know they don't have money. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but you know, hey, so you're you like you know you got a great cabinet making business. You used to ride motorbikes. Um, you got into you got or, into. I don't know. Racing. So this this is a dangerous statement, Josh. Because hundred percent. So are you suggesting that neglect is possibly a reason that no. someone's running? Okay. No, no, no. Or but I'm just saying, it 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 is a possibility that it, it could happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I, it's I a think, valid. I excuse. think you'd have to know. Yeah, like Would yeah. You? I, I, no, 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 no. Not as in you'd have to know, but I think that as the driver and the race team owner, the onus will be squarely on you because. Okay, I'll throw it out there. You imagine if someone in the top whatever, honestly, top whatever, um, was proven to be a cheat at, say, Fink or Gundy or Don. Like, that's that's a pretty big call. Do you think it would affect the sport negatively? 
Or would uh, everyone just go, oh, we sort of knew that was going on or, oh, we sort of, oh, well, oh, well, you know, oh, well, you know, he was just building within his limit. How, how do you reckon that plays out? Yeah, I, I don't. I'm throwing have you the on answer. the spot, aren't I? Yeah, 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 hundred yeah, percent. I don't have the answers, but I guess what I'm saying is, is, I, I mean, hey, there are people out there that are not that mechanically minded that are that are racing cars. You know, like some people just are really good drivers, but know nothing about how the car works. But you just put them in it, and away they go. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's it's right, or I'm not saying it's happened or anything like that, but. And I'm not saying it's a reason to open up the unlimited class rule. I just think it's it's a possibility. You know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and imagine. I suppose it's a possibility, but I just look at it like you can't. You couldn't, as the team owner of F1, go. Oh, I didn't know. You know what I mean? And like, to to if we're going to be professional in our sport and bring off road racing to the masses, yep. which I know is tough, we we need to be at least aware of this, and we need to make sure that we're not um, breeding complacency within our no. competitors. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. No, no, I I listen, I hear what you're saying. It's just an interesting side note. Like, yeah, I, I don't know how you stop that, but I also think that at the end of the day, if if you stood there at the end, say say you win, Josh, and you I know you don't know how to measure a ball. So <laughs> throw conversation anyway. bore me. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thanks, anyway. thanks to all the people that are tuning in. <laughs> So the moral of the story is that if you if if John Curran gave you a motor and then you won Fink, which again will never happen, old mate. But anyway, maybe if they gave it to me, but and me and BT. But anyway, long story short is, you know, you stand it on the podium, your car gets checked, like you're not going to be able to go. Oh, I didn't know. Well, no, no. I, I guess what I'm circling around to is um. It is exactly like you said. If you knew you were going to get capacity checked at some point in time, you would probably be a bit more on the ball. I I think we're breeding complacency by Got there you. being no capacity checks whatsoever. You. Like so you you're said, saying I, an engine builder potentially goes, "Oh, when's the last time they checked? Never. We've never. Ever. We've never been never checked. Been checked. No, I don't know. Does has anyone actually ever been checked? Yeah. Surely if you are listening in, yeah, yeah. If you are listening in, drop us a comment and let us know if you have been checked. Um, it's not something that has ever happened to us. I don't know yep. of it of it happening to anyone either. And again, so we hear about it at almost every second race. Someone says, "Oh, there's going to be a capacity check at the end." It yep. was absolutely circling this year that that was yep. going to happen, and yep. we heard about it in the commentary box, and then nothing happened. Oh. So that's interesting, hey? Yeah, and and also if you're slightly more mechanical minded or more in the loop than Danny Curran and I, is there an easy way? To um to be able to capacity check, you know, or or is it do engines have to be pulled down? Because I guess that's where it becomes hard. If, if engines have to be pulled down to to capacity check, then then it does obviously come at a large cost and you know a big issue. Because hey, um, you know, look at Toby Price's motor this year. You know, a hey, good on Dugans. The word on the street is that they actually warrantied that motor from last year because it was a brand new motor so hey shout out to to ray ray what an absolute legend of yeah, of good. off-road racing yeah so like if they turned around and, and cam said hey or sorry motorsport australia my bad if they turned around and said hey we're going to get old you know joe blogs down in the back blocks of victoria to pull your motor apart well if, if i was toby price i know exactly what i'd be saying like absolutely yeah. not no no yeah. way so you know mick marson would Mick let anyone pull his motor? I mean, you know, and good luck if you're trying to make Mick, you know, 
pull his yeah. motor, you know, let someone else pull his motor down, you know. Um, I don't think it's, yeah, it, it, if it's something that Pete done quick and easy, maybe there's a way they do it in, um, in V8 supercars or Formula One relatively easily or something like that. I'm sure there's probably something, you know, that, that maybe measures capacity that comes out of the, you know, as you crank it over or something like that, yep. that there may be an option. But yeah, I, I think it's something that, and not just one, two, and three, like maybe, you know, yep. they, Maybe you get to the finish line, and if you're in the top twenty, you, you much like random yep. drug testing at a mine site, you draw them, and you know, hey, they might get no one. You know, yep. you you draw a marble out, and if it's, you know, say, nine white ones and one yellow one, and if you get the yellow one, you get capacity tested. Yep. And um, at top twenty, they may get no one, but they might get five cars. You know what I mean? And that way, you could say that it is one hundred percent random. You know, without without bias or anything like that. If if you're in the top twenty. There's a you, you know there's a possibility you're going to get capacity tested. Yeah. Well, here you go. Let's let's change the subject, Josh, because I was going to say we're sounding like sad sacks. I want to say first up. No, no. Well, I'm not being funny. I don't know anyone, anyone that is cheating. That's a that's a no, true absolutely. and honest statement. So I'm not trying to. This conversation wasn't surrounding. It was just surrounding that every year this conversation comes up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it would clear up a lot of rumors. It would even yep. the playing field. It would do lots of things. But again, yep. I can't stress this enough. Absolutely zero um, thought process to me thinking that anyone is doing the wrong thing. Because again, I must say, I think like, because this is where I was going to, not the, again, don't think Toby Price is cheating. That's my first statement. Because you imagine the impact that that could potentially have on him if they turn around and go, oh yeah, he's got the wrong motor in it. And everyone goes, oh, well, of course he's been winning. No, no, I, I believe he's winning with all the same gear that everyone else yep. has because of, of of his track time and his knowledge and his speed. So uh, I guess that's what I'm saying to you is that I, th I think it would be great to see that sort of thing. So it would be very interesting to see. So look at Cornick. Cornick's all over this stuff today. Thanks, Alan Cornick. We might have to have you on as a tech to time one time. But there's a tool. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. A tech, and this, this, a tech listen, tool? A tech tool. Cornick is a tech tool. No, it's, it, but uh, it makes sense because, again, they must capacity check rally and they must capacity check F1 and they must – like it's got to be a reasonably simple sort of process to be able to do this. So be interesting. Yeah. But anyway, what I wanted to get to now, guys, and, and hey, if you're in our comments, again, throw it out there and start chatting and, and put in. But I want to know, Josh, what was your absolute highlight of Think For You? Um. I'll start because I reckon, like, I loved the commentary. Obviously, that was a, a an absolute cracker. But uh, this is really w weird because, obviously, the race as a whole, I loved everything. But what I really loved was getting out in the desert again. We went, you know, out and yep. we camped a couple of days on the road. We uh, we went home via the plenty and slept sort of like in the hills of Bullion and had a big gidgy fire. And, and like, just that whole atmosphere was so good. And it was time yep. with the family. And I think... That's one of the things that this race just brings that no other race brings at this point. I'm sure more and more will get onto it, but that family aspect, like I had my little seven-year-old in the desert. I, you know, like my, it was just such a great time. And uh, man, every time I go to that race, 
like that's the thing that keeps drawing me back to think, and I've said it to so many people, is that the event as a whole, the race is yeah. a small portion of it. The the going down the track on Thursday looking for spots, the the Friday, uh, Thursday night, you know, cruise around talking to the method boys at the booth, you know, the, the, you know just the fun of it, the, the backflips on the main street from those crazy crackers on the, those quad bikes, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it was so insane. And then, you know, like then we had all the other stuff that was going on, you know, the race and it was so good. It's so, everyone is so friendly out there. Like, man, even like say the Brantford's like Kelsey and, and, you know, like, and Ryan were out there and, you know, the smile is infectious, isn't it? You yeah. can tell they're under the bus. Yoff pulled up and had a chat to us for a little bit, just about random stuff. But, you know, like these guys, they've done 11 months of work to get here mm. really, haven't they? And, yeah. and like, you know, again, the race is amazing. Let me clarify that. But man, the, the time as a whole was a highlight. But I must admit, Josh, I was a little bit more, not, not trying to throw shots or anything. I was a little bit more in the commentary box. You actually got the opportunity to go down the track to some really great locations and do some um, filming with method. Yep. Did you, you saw some amazing stuff. You had a, you had a hoot. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I like sort of to jump on your coattails a little bit there. I, I think it was that for me as well. Like I was so hyped leading up to like leaving home. It was like, like Christmas again, you know, like packing the car, JC senior on the road trip. Like it was, yeah, I, I think it's tough to narrow it down to one, one thing that you love about think, but it is, it's that whole atmosphere. You know, we got to caught, catch up with Billy. We got to catch up with, Hey, like I, I want to give these guys a mad shout out is I think they were the only people that worked like way to pump our own tires up. I think they were the only people that worked longer than the commentary team was the photographers. So like, you know, those guys did an awesome job. So we got to catch up with like Steve, Mick, Randall, those guys. Um, yeah. Like I said, Billy was there, the Swindlehurst, the Taylors, like, I think it's like you said, everything that goes with that race that is, that is super enjoyable. Everyone's in Alice Springs. It's um, well, even Josh, everyone's it, there for the one reason. Yep. I was going to say that you talking about that almost made me like, just think real quickly too. Like it's the community too. Like Mick yes. Taylor from race wheels found out that we were having some commentary uh, data issue down the far end at Apatula, which is very standard. Apatula is super remote in yes. the middle of nowhere, desert country, you know, like proper and, you know, instantly jumped on and said, Hey, we've got a satellite dish, which again, you probably saw on the live feed. If you've watched the think live feed, but essentially like just donated it so that we could do those interviews and, and do yep. all that stuff down the far end. And well, even I, so like, we you could know bring I mean? the pictures. Pictures. Yeah. So yep. like all that stuff that you guys saw streaming on the YouTube live feed from think was actually via a second hand. Like we just happened to get a message from Mick saying we were having dramas with the live feed and he's like, I'll sort it out. You know, he gets onto the tech guys in the commentary tower, makes it happen. And I think that's what's so cool is that was actually put him in a position where it was a bit painful for him. You know, like he had, he had cars to prep, he had places to be, he had his own data to do with method and the race wheels, Australia guys. But just again, how cool is it that a, a guy like that just jumps on board and like, Hey man, we love this race so much, whatever yep. you need to do, let's make it happen. And then the other cool thing, Josh, sorry, mate, I've totally sidetracked you. The more I think about feet, I just I'm used love, to it. Mate. I, yeah, I know. I know. Everyone loves this race, but, um, even the messages over the weekend, like Lee Wells was texting us nonstop with updates and bits and pieces and information. And, you know, like it was so good to have all the Facebook messages and that and the guys yeah. and, and obviously getting all the guys very, very hammered on, on the bopper, you know, those guys drinking. 
Yeah, keep going, mate. Keep going. So, yeah, poor old Dave Polino is still in hospital. Yeah, yeah, hasn't recovered. Hasn't recovered from. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Like at his own detriment, Mick gave up his satellite. So they had a satellite on the back of their their chase their chase vehicle, so that they could um, you know quickly upload some of the media that they had to do for for Method Race Wheels, as they were one of the major sponsors. You know, so that sort of impacted what he was doing, but he happily gave it up to be able to make sure that everyone at home. So essentially, if you're at home looking for bike 627, you know, and it was going to be in at three o'clock, like you were able to see that thanks to, you know, the Race Wheels Australia team. So, you know, absolute yeah, credit to those guys. But mm. getting back to your original question about, yeah, I was down the track. So like I said, I was in between the off-road club and the, the Tree of Knowledge. I went down there and took... um Jaden, one of the guys that was doing some filming for Race Wheels Australia, and and it was mate, it, it was super interesting to be there. You could see, um, you know, we were in a section that was um, quite hilly and whooped out. Like it, it's pretty iconic um, footage of Fink there. You know, those that have been out will know the section I'm talking about near the off road club. Um, but probably the most interesting thing was like you could almost pick there at the 40k, like who was going to make it and and who wasn't going to make it. So. Uh, one of my early picks for the weekend was was Glenn Owen, thinking that you know parachuted in, no fight in the championship. A, a previous winner knows what it takes to win, and when he come past us, you could smell that that thing was um, was definitely burning some oil. Mm. Um, so we were pretty confident he wasn't going to make it. Um, but probably the super interesting one for me, the the oh, highlight or, or the thing that'll stick with me is um, how close the bikes were when they came past us, like mm. uh, Jack. Um, Jack, oh man, Jack, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob Smith, yeah, yeah, not Jake, Jacob Smith, and and um and Dobby were all so close when they came past us, and then sort of you know hearing that that had gone on for a while, so Dob- um, Dobby being Walshy, just yeah, ladies sorry, and gentlemen, my bad. yeah, yeah, not that I know that well, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like it was interesting because um once we'd sort of filmed the the cars and and some of the top bikes. Um, I did make the trek back into the commentary booth to actually earn my keep for a little bit, but um, you heard I got to hear some of the finish line interviews secondhand, and and while she was talking about how he didn't know what was going on, he was um, he thought he was catching a car or someone on the service road, but but Jack and Jacob were actually that close, and and when they come past us, they were essentially side by side. I'd say maybe three to four seconds splitting them, and then probably twenty seconds while she was behind them. So you knew that while she had made up time on them, it was just whether he was going to be able to to put the pass on them with the dust and, and the speed and everything like that. But to hear while she then get down to the finish line and talk about um, how he thought he was catching a car and, and to actually be able to sort of, you know, because of the way the dust was from the two bikes, it, it was very unusual the way that the two bikes side by side were making dust and not something that he'd ever experienced before. So it was pretty interesting to sort of, Witness that out on the track, and then listen to Walshy, you know, talk about what he what he had experienced on the, you know, as he was trying to make that make up that time on Jack and J- Jack and Jacob. Mm. Now, interestingly, this gives me a little bit of uh, because obviously there's some talk about Walshy retiring at the end of the year, or Ooh. sorry, after this one. Did you hear that at the finish? No, uh, he he just mentioned that he, you know, well, someone mentioned about it. I questioned him because I think he did talk about retiring last year. And, yes. and, you know, like now he's got three in a row and, you know, obviously he's got family commitments, life commitments. Yeah, perfect way to go, really. But 
Um, either one, he comes back and races it again because the addiction's too good, which I can totally get. Or it, it'll be interesting because, you know, we've had a three-time champ. That might open it up a little bit, you know what I mean, with the bikes as well. Not that he's unbeatable in any way, shape, or form, in the sense that there's a lot of fast guys there that are working and training and that. But it'll just be interesting because I, I was interested in where your predictions for next year go because I think there's a few things that are going to be um, pretty interesting next year. One thing that I think, and this is a, I'm, I'm really throwing it left here, got, but one thing that I think is going to be crazy next year is, here you go, Josh, Talk Starlink. Starlink's going to be the game changer next year. It's going to be very interesting to see what saying it's going to be do. the new 79. Oh, yeah, I can't believe I said that. Sorry, I apologize for that wording, but I do think it's going to be very interesting. We talked about it on, you know, again, the live commentary that, uh, the Baja 500 has been um, streamed from a car. And, you know, as of whenever, is that going to be the new hotness? Is is everyone going to have car in cab? You know, there's going to be guys down live feeding. There's going to be all sorts of stuff going on because I think that's going to be an interesting thing. Now we know, <laughs> I hope I'm not giving away any secrets here, Josh. We know it didn't work this year because our Starlink didn't work. So go for it. What secrets? So we know all about it. Like we couldn't do. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, but it, what's going to be interesting is to see where that that technology takes us. And even down to now, I mean, look at us. We can do whatever the heck we want, whenever we want on, on YouTube live and that. Like, is it yeah. going to be a situation where we've got all sorts of streams and all sorts of action going on all over the place. It's going to, it's going to be interesting because again, I can't stress this enough. 10 years ago, checkpoint times were the best update you were possibly hoping to get. And you could potentially listen live to uh, none other than Rusty and Jody in those days, the you know, goats. on the, the the, absolutely on the, uh, on the live stream. And you could listen to it. Like, you know, when we were racing, mum was sitting at home in Yapoon watching checkpoint times she knew more information than anyone on site ever did so yeah it'll be very interesting to see where that takes us because i think that yeah again i don't know as of the current situation it is extremely remote and you have to understand that yeah. 10k's out of alice springs like pretty much where we were in the commentary box unless you're hooked to a lot data line there was next to no phone reception anywhere south of that is, you know, and we're talking 226 Ks down the road to the south. And, and you know, for our, our American friends, that's like 160 miles out in the desert, somewhere like that. I'm guessing this miles because who the hell uses the imperial system? But anyway, it's down in the middle of nowhere is what I'm trying to say to you. And that makes it interesting, doesn't it? Because, you know, like once we get true satellite data, that that makes it a very interesting space to be in next year. Yeah, I think so. I, like you said, they they broadcast a whole race from Mexico, like a whole in-car. So you could essentially, yeah, like, and I think it's a, a great system that will work great in, you know, you no longer have to hire a sat phone. You no longer have to do this. Like you can get to the overnight stop at Apertula. You can set up your Starlink. You can, uh, or, or in, you know, Mickey listen, Taylor's listen to, case, listen to a couple of Dirtbags podcasts. Yes, yep, absolutely. Well, in Mickey Taylor's case, you know, they've got it now with their their own satellite uplink, so not even using uh, Starlink. I'm not even sure who it's through, but, you know, Mick was able to, to text us and, and was able to to get a bit of information out. Actually, I believe the – no, no, I, I don't – you know, I we used it on, on Monday as the cars came home. They ended up 40Ks down the track 
and got a Instagram live video going on the Race Wheels Australia Instagram. So, and man, we had it going up in the commentary box using it as information as well. So, oh yeah, I think information is going to be, you know, for mm. races like Finger is going to come through thick and fast. And oh, it's only going to be great because there's going to be so many, so much content to consume leading leading up to Fink and stuff like that. And and heck, you know, like I believe from some of our conversations with Kelsey, they're looking at ways that they can improve the live feed as well, you know, um, more information, a few more cameras, a few more, you know, uh, down the track and stuff like that. So uh, off-road racing, you know, like you said, like we need to get it to the masses and, and, and how can we do that? And I think, you know, the internet is going to be a huge part of that. And I think Starlink, satellite links, uh, live feeds and stuff like that is, is going to play a, a huge, huge thing in, in getting off-road racing out. Like we said, look at stadium super trucks and when they race at Adelaide or when they race at Gold Coast or Darwin, like, man, the fences are just lined and packed. And they're simply, you know, doing one big jump and landing and then going around a heap of flat corners. Like imagine – you know the general public. It, it is. Losing it is their pretty mind. cool. Yeah, it's very it, cool. It's very cool. I shouldn't have said just doing a big just oh, going I around apologize. a flat corner. Yeah, Robbie Gordon's going to come and like kick me in the dick or something. Like I get it, but um, we're going to have to make this one explicit. La, that one was for Wowzers. you, buddy. Wowzers. Um, but um, yeah, like imagine what the public like. I think about it. Like we were into off-road racing. You know, watch Dust of Glory you know, consume content on YouTube as much as we could. And then we got to Gundawindi that first time and saw Malapunya for the first time, saw Pro Buggy's trophy trucks going down. Like we were losing our mind as fans of the sport. So imagine, you know, someone just on a Monday morning or Sunday morning, you know, getting up, having their coffee and somehow on YouTube, the algorithms put it all together. And, you know, there's a live feed from the Bonduma whoops, like the Bonduma station, <clears throat> pardon me, of off-road racing like man it's just gonna it will it will take the world by storm like it's mm. it's crazy no, yeah i i, I think i think what's going to happen in the future with with starlink and satellites is is just going to be it's going to it's going to take off-road racing to the public and i think that's a good thing like you think about what could be set up at a at a loop race in particular mm. yeah don's going to be very interesting for sure like there's there's going to be a lot of data and a lot of information there so I think it's going to be a cool race. Gunda Windy is, has a huge potential as well. I totally agree. So yeah, particularly those big name brand races, like if they get onto the live stuff, it's going to be pretty darn cool, I think. So well, it's, it's come a long way from a, a couple of morons up in a commentary box at Gunda Windy just deciding to zip tie a uh, a telephone to a to the post. And uh, it was, and it was an I, iPhone 7, mate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With no right. data. No data, but but that's right. That, I mean, that's the that's the biggest challenge, really, isn't it? Like, you, no bandwidth because you get to a race that has crap or reception, and there's a hundred people. But yeah, essentially, you know, we just one day decided to zip tie a phone to the to the pole and and put it up, and it was crazy how many people you know wanted to have a look at it. Sometimes you'd have like 50, 60, 70 viewers. So it's a um, it's an interesting one. What yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Listen, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out. Anyway, it's going to be, it's going to be very good. And yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> Turn hey, well, back we'll... logistics. I like yeah, it. Yeah. Big shout yeah. out to the OG there, Fistgistics. Yeah, yeah. We've been following 
your information for a lot of years over at Australia. It's the only way we can get that good information at a race. But yeah, no, listen, Josh. And then the other one that I just stepping forward from that, the other one that I think is going to be very interesting to see, we all talk about, and I, I sorry, I sound like a broken record, but can't wait to see. I feel like Shannon had some issues with a new car. I, I, I hope I'm not speaking out of school. That's what I sort of saw. No, I believe they he, had he boost indicated. issues. Could only get like six or seven pound of boost out of it. Yeah, because we've definitely talked about it. That car to us, we've heard a lot of Shannon's race cars over the years in different situations. It sounded different this year. It sounded lazy for want of a better word. And uh, I think that, that when they get on top of that and then once they start getting on top of all their suspension, because again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, it's it, they've gone from a rear-engined, uh, mid gearbox you know what i mean like a rear engine jimco aussie spec to this new hammerhead that has trailing arms and you know 28 inches of suspension travel or whatever it's got they're currently running on a smaller tire it'll be interesting because am i on the right track i thought he was on 35s on the old style mt cuts not the the big 37s it'll be interesting to see if i'm right or wrong there again i'm sure someone will tell me in the comments if i'm wrong maybe shannon himself but moral of the story is what i saw it it looks no, true. It, it, but it looked like he was on 35s compared to some of the other cars. Although the trucks now on 40s just make everything look so tiny. Don't I was going to say so, that that's the hard part is the, the yeah. juxtaposition, you know, like trucks on 40 inch tires just make everything look small. Yeah. Especially now that, again, we were on the wrong track. We thought Paul Wheels and um, Bows were small, like 6,100 trucks. Yeah. Both of them told us that we were incorrect there. Like Paul's is a essentially a light and full-size G6, and Bo's is the same. It is essentially a full-size Mason, just in a lightened version for Australian. Ter- so they are massive trucks. Bo's truck is a work of art. If you get the oh. chance to have a look at it, the inside carbon, the aerodynamics, everything that's got done, the G6 is exactly the oh, same, just yeah. so we're clear. Like beautiful yeah. trucks. And and this isn't a shot at, but you look at like some of the older guys that are around now, like because they've been around 10 years. And it, again, we talked about on the podcast with Paul and Bo, it's really just the way they've shuffled things around, like the seats are low, the chassis moves different it's just it's so interesting to see them side by side and you go oh like it's it's just a little lot of little one percents that they've done it's very cool so now it's going to be interesting to see mate i'm excited for think 20 uh 23 but even more so the rest of the australian championship now is obviously we've got our top contenders but we've had a lot of shuffling in the likes of the trophy trucks, like Bo's now with this Mason. Smoothie's had a good run. You know, where does Smoothie slide into that? Kamiski had a good run. You know, like it's going to be cool. And then even our pro lights, our pro buggies, like it's going to be so our class 10s. The class 10s were so cool. Yeah. You know, Ali unfortunately had a rough uh, day at Fink on the way down, had a much better run home, but had no power steering on the whole way down there. It made it quite difficult. So, yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see where the rest of the championship goes now because, I mean, that's what we're focused on. And then the other couple that I'm very excited about is, again, it's made me even hungrier to get up to the Don River because it's going to be a great race there. And even down to – did he say this in our meeting or not? Did When we talked to Toby, did he say he was interested in doing Don River? 
yes, very interested in being at Don. And so, hopefully, he, I mean, he well, did say at the finish line that the truck was ready to rock and roll. Because I was going to say that was the key to it. He said, it'll depend on what the truck's like. Well, he said it was ready to go back to Fink. So to me, that means, hey, let's just spread the word. Toby Price is racing uh, Don River Dash. Yeah. No, I don't, <laughs> I'm making this up. Luke Ayers is definitely racing the Don River Dash, but... Anyway, the moral of the story is it's going to be a great race and it'll be very interesting to see what happens, mate. Hey, I just wanted to touch on one of the things that you um you pointed out there about like class 10 cars. What about Stephen Grayman in that class 10 car at um at Fink? Qualified oh, 13th overall in ridiculous. a class 10. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. That's a 2.4 Ecotech. Ridiculous. Yeah. 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 yeah the, actually, I don't know the... if it was. Did it, I think it might have had a, like a Honda 2.5 or something in it. But essentially, it is a four-cylinder naturally aspirated, you know, 2.5 maximum capacity. Cra crazy fast. You are right, Dan. Honda. Yeah. I just remember reading it somewhere there that it had a Honda in it. And yeah. But again, can't stress this enough. So damn cool. And did have Tanner James in the navigator seat. So good to yes. see Tanner back at Fink and, and having a good crack. Unfortunately, the boys didn't make it down on the way down. No. Again, if in the comments, if you know what happened there, because we were fully cheering that car when, oh, again, sorry, Josh, you were down the track, but we, me and the other Josh, Josh, were talking about it. And, uh, you know, the fact that there could potentially be a 10 car in the top 10 on the way down to Fink, that's madness. And if he had to run home, I think that he could have potentially run inside the top five because he was that fast. Yeah. Well, having a look at the qualifying results, he qualified in between Ryan Taylor. And Peter Costello. So two, he qualified that ten car in between two twin turbo pro buggies. Like, yeah, a, an amazing effort. But oh, the, Steve Graham, the man, has always been an animal in that uh, in that ten car. But yes. um, yeah, a very cool thing. Hey, now one of the things did want to mention as well. You were talking about uh, Don River Dash, and we were talking about uh, Ben Grabham with his tours. The word on the street just got a text message from the uh, the man, the myth, Mick Marson. The non off road racing, he said that uh, he, Ben Grabber will be at Don River D's bike. So, if you are interested in Don River dashing it on a motorbike, get onto uh, the, the Facebook page before that we're looking at Ben Grabber's bike tours and uh, hit him up. There you go, you can uh, you can get on. Maybe, hey, maybe we'll we'll start to see. We were talking about it before, we might see an Ironman uh, championship. So, got to do the double at. Fink, Don River, and Kalgoorlie. And you'll be officially crowned the hardest man in off-road racing in Australia. Or woman. Yeah. Or woman. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not yeah, a misogynist. Definitely. I'm not a yeah. don't don't blow me up on uh, Instagram. Yeah. No, crazy stuff. Hey, well, the other thing, uh, I guess, as we're getting towards wrapping up, Josh, is for the old algorithm, if you can give us a like on YouTube and subscribe to the page, that'd be awesome. We want to bring you as much dirt content as we possibly can. We've uh, absolutely loved everyone listening along, haven't we, Josh? It's been a good time. Yeah. We've enjoyed the interaction. We wanted to do one of these live ones and see how it went with you guys, yeah. and we appreciate cool. you listening to a couple of mugs with us, so it's a good time. Yeah. We're going to try to do more live ones. We're even going to try to uh, line up a couple of live guests and see how the uh, the interaction goes, keep them entertained, and it'll be a good time. We Again, in the comments, let us know who do you want us to get in and and comment uh sorry have a a podcast with because we are going to head down towards brisbane soon aren't we josh yeah and and try to catch up with a few people down there and, and set up a bit of a studio and do this so again uh long way from professional podcasters but if you can put up with josh and i's ugly mug 
We'll try to bring you some damn good content in this off-road racing space because, again, can't suggest this enough. All Josh and I want more than anything else are no one's getting riff, rich going dirt racing. A great man once said, if you want to get a million dollars racing off-road, you start with $2 million and go off-road racing. And that's it. The truth has never been closer. But anyway, that yeah. well, the moral of the story is we love this stuff and we can't wait to uh, you know bring you all these cool stories that we've always been talking about it that we just love uh, you know, all that side of it. And it, it's interesting because we've had so many awesome opportunities sitting around fires with some of the uh, the old school boys like the Nev Taylors and, and you know, all those Bob Stanfields and all those sort of guys that, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, those guys no longer with us. And this is a perfect platform for bringing great stories so that you guys can catch up with some of the great stuff. Because, again, Josh, I, I know we've talked about it before. If you haven't listened already – Go and have a listen to the the Toby Price podcast because I think it was one that I really enjoy. I enjoy all of them, obviously, but I really enjoyed hearing about Dakar from a perspective that was, you know, some of the stories behind how he actually got there. I never, I, I knew that he'd raced with Jesse Jones. I assumed it was a Red Bull connection, but the actual story of him getting a phone call because he, essentially he was happy to wipe windscreens. How cool is that, Josh? You know, from our Australian Dakar champ. He's just over there being keen to be part of the sport, and I really enjoyed that side. So, Yeah, I agree, DC. Like I said, a huge shout-out, particularly uh, we had a bit of a run leading up to Fink. We managed to have <laughs> we managed to have Poor old Toby Price. Yeah, we managed to have Toby, uh, Bo Robinson, and Paul Wheel. And um, particularly Bo and Paul, they actually recorded with us in Alice Springs leading up to the race so we could get that extra think content out, but you're 100% right, DC. I think this is, it gives us a great platform to get down and, and listen to those stories that we didn't necessarily know. I, I found the Paul Wheel one uh, super interesting. You know, the fact that he raced the original stadium super or stadium trucks, sorry, not super truck. Man, Robbie Gordon is just coming for me after this, but yep. he raced the original stadium trucks. Uh, what he went through with PWR to keep that business afloat, um, mm. You know, mm. uh, you know, a few things like that was, and, and his insight into the sport as well. You know, coming from being a, a V8 supercar driver and team owner, safari stuff like that. Yeah, and, and it is great. Yeah, so you know, once again, hit us up and let us know. You know, who you'd like on the um, on the podcast. They're, they're people that we, you know, we we want to get anyone and everyone on this podcast and, and give people an opportunity to tell their stories. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, mate. Well, it has been an absolute uh, great afternoon catch or night catching up with you, night. mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my yeah, cup yeah. is empty. Hey, well, I was about, about to say what was in your cup, mate, because I guess it's not tea in that Yeti. There might be a little bit of long branch in it. Just oh, a little beautiful. whiskey. Beautiful. It's nice, nice, little, nice little nightcap. Well, Absolutely. ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time.